I will say to our guy who's like 40th on our death list, I'm like, try to be the best 40th guy in the state. Like that's a legitimate goal. And that would be something you could be really proud of. If you could look down the list and be like, I'm the best 40th guy in the state. That means that I'm on a great team and I'm doing things the right way. And I'm helping the guy who's 39, who's helping the guy 38. Welcome to a Run On Culture podcast, featuring local runners and coaches helping us define a culture of success. Join the competition this week at the LaSalle Explorers Virtual Mile and 400. Register today at runsignup.com slash explorers mile. Okay, we're here with uh, Greg Bilecki from LaSalle High School in uh, Pennsylvania. We are going to talk running and training. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Really honored. This is going to be a great podcast, uh, two of the uh, best programs in the state over the last couple of years. A little rivalry. I know our guys were, were like, oh, how are you going to interview him? Like, it's <laughs> it kind of funny. Uh, I'll tell you, man. I mean, when, when you guys won this fall, you know, I mean, I said to our guys all year long, like, you know, I mean, you run a program where I watch year in and year out. You know, like your young guys just keep developing. You know, they show up and race really tough on race day. So while people might, you know, really want to try to beat you every time, I and all the guys on my team have a ton of respect for you and your team. Um, you clearly run your program the right way. I mean, if, if we're ever going to lose a meet, you know, I, I, I mean, there's never any shame in losing to a team and a program like yours. So um, I was really happy for you and your team. They ran a heck of a race and, and it was a great season for you guys. You know, so I was, and I was really happy to see how well you guys ran at NXN. And, and I love that it, you know, and I know this is how you view it. It raises the bar for, for everybody, you know, and that's, and that's what we want. You know, it's why I love going to the state championship. So many good programs, so many great coaches, and it, and it helps all of us just try to be better, which is really what the name of this thing is all about, you know, just just trying to get better. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of uh, shared camaraderie in running, which is unlike a lot of other sports where yeah. you can kind of celebrate uh, your quote-unquote rivals' uh, success in, in right. a way that maybe you don't Absolutely. do in other sports. Without a doubt, yep. I'd like you just to start out, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your history in running, how you got into it. I mean, started a little bit in grade school, you know, just kind of stay in shape for other sports. I think that's a pretty common story. And actually, so I went to LaSalle for high school. And when I got to LaSalle, I mean, I considered ice hockey my primary sport. That's what I played freshman and sophomore year. And, and really, like a big part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing with my life is, you know, Pat Devine was the head coach of LaSalle at the time. And I ran cross country. And then both those years, I went out for outdoor track after the hockey season was over. And I just saw the, the culture and the, the team environment that he built. And after a couple of years of kind of being on the edges of it and, and, and sort of kind of getting into it, I just realized, I was like, this is something I, I want to be a part of in, in every way possible. Um, so I had stopped playing ice hockey, ran all three seasons, um, you know, loved every minute of it. You know, my experience with my teammates, you know, my experience with with Pat Devine. And then it was kind of a natural transition from there. Uh, I chose Haverford College, where Tom Donnelly is the head coach and who had run it. LaSalle, coach still LaSalle, was the head coach when Pat Devine started as his assistant before Pat took over when Tom left to go to Haverford. Um, so when I started looking at schools and I visited there, um, I mean, literally from the moment I stepped into Tom's office, I knew that that was, you know, the place that I wanted to run and the place that I wanted to go to school. I mean, I've got a million Tom Donnelly stories, you know, they're all uh, unbelievable, you know, but in, in as much as Pat, you know, prevent, presented me with this opportunity to be a part of this team culture that made everybody feel really valued and included. When I was with Tom Donnelly, every single time I felt like I was in the presence of 
a, a mind that just, you know, took each kid and saw the vision of how they were going to progress and grow over the course of four years. And, and he would even say to me, and hopefully beyond, you know, he's like, I, I want you to continue to do this for as long as, you know, you have the passion to do it. And I mean, he just painstakingly thought through, I mean, everything we did, you know, and, and, and he shared our highs and our lows with us. And, you know, he was the number one person in our corner the whole time. So, I mean, after eight years of running with those two people, um, it was pretty simple for me what I wanted to do with my life. If, if I could do, you know, half the job that those two guys have, have done, um, I'd, I'd be pretty proud uh, to have done that with, with my life. Yeah, there's probably not much better of a mentor in, in Pennsylvania, at least yeah. in this area, than, than Tom Donnelly. He, he's a legend. So, so let's talk a little bit about then how how are you approaching training for your athletes right now with the shutdown uh and and with the lack of an outdoor track season i I try to i try to handle things that come my way the way i would like these guys to handle things that are going to come their way and that in in every challenge is an opportunity you know um things often in a in a race in a week in a season in a career are inevitably, you're going to have times where things don't go the way you want. Um, I mean, obviously, when when I left practice on Wednesday, March 11th, I had no idea that I, you know, I, I mean, I haven't seen those guys since. I, I mean, it's it's bizarre, right? Like, I, I can't think of a time where I went this long in my life without seeing the kids on the team. Um, you know, but in all my early emails before the April 9th announcement, and then even all my emails since then, I'm like, look, like, we can either, you know, feel bad for ourselves be down on things and and just kind of like lose momentum and motivation, or, you know, we can look at this as an, as an opportunity where we have a chance to do some things that we don't often do in the, in the springtime. You know, I mean, we're a team that will usually do like two doubles a week in the fall through most of the fall in the spring. We usually do two doubles a week, like for March and that's it because after March, you know, I mean, you're having at least one meet. Some guys are having two meets a week. Um, so I said, look, like you guys have online classes that don't start until like 8 a.m. You know, you don't have to travel to school. You know, I was like, you guys can get up at seven o'clock and go for a run, you know, shower, eat breakfast and be ready for class at 8 a.m. Um, like, so we can experiment with our mileage being a little bit higher than we otherwise would. I said, and also without having to do like super race specific stuff right now, you know, we can kind of experiment just doing a little bit longer stuff, a little bit slower and easier stuff but just try to get like really strong in a way that we never get a chance to do during the school year um and we had a bunch of guys run that henderson you know virtual two mile um in the last couple days and i mean we had a couple sophomores who indoors barely broke 450 if they broke 450 at all and one of them broke 950 and one of them ran 950 i I mean i I, like I, i mean I was getting emails from guys. I almost did a backflip the other day. You know, my wife's like, what the heck happened? And I was like, I mean, the, and, and so, you know, and I, and I try to always tell them, you know, like we're training to do things the right way, whether the payoff is there or not right now, you know, sometimes you got to hang in through. I mean, so it was really cool to see some of those guys um, able to go out and on their own, get a result that they can be really proud of. Um, and I think it's just sort of a byproduct of them buying into Hey, I don't know. I'm, I mean, before the April 9th thing, they didn't know if they were going to have a race. Um, I think the closer we got to April 9th, I think we all realized that looked pretty unlikely. Um, you know, and, and we also tried to approach training that way going, 
you know, so much of all of our lives right now has kind of changed and become different. Going out every afternoon and running for 45 minutes to an hour is something that we can do that, that stays the same. You know, it's something that can anchor us and, and give us that, you know, tangible thing that we can do each day of, of normalcy. And, you know, and I kept emphasizing to them, even though we're not all together, you know, everybody else is going to go out and do this at the same time. So we can think about each other when we're out there. You know, we might not be together, but we know we're we're in this thing together. So I like that idea of having them do it all at the same time uh, yeah. and, and getting out there kind of practicing yep. at the same time. That's pretty cool. And it looks, I mean, your kids did run really well in that virtual 3,200. I was super impressed. That was awesome. Yeah. Really <laughs> I mean, exciting. That's exciting to see, yeah. uh, to see those kids still developing and, and still have that commitment level. Yeah. Do, do you follow the guys on Strava? Do you use daily mile, something like yes, that? Yeah. Um, all of it. Yeah. They, I mean, they have a, they, they almost all use Strava. We have like a, they have a Strava club. I mean, that started really for summer training. Um, you know, cause I wouldn't see them for long stretches of time in the summer so they could, and they like to follow each other too, you know, I mean, yeah. way more than they like me following them or even that I like following them. I know that they love that aspect of it. You know, there's definitely that accountability piece there, but I've just sending them, been sending them a Sunday email each week, um, kind of a little framing, a little motivation, breakdown day by day, um, you know, my rationale for stuff. And then, you know, lots of emails and texts all week long, you know, I mean, some guys it's not daily, but it's pretty frequent. And, you know, some guys it's like a once a week check-in, you know, but, but a lot of communication with a lot of guys um, over the last seven weeks, it's hard to say seven weeks, but um, you know, in, in a way it's been, I mean, I, I wouldn't have wanted this, but it's been a neat experiment for those guys. Um, you know, and they've sort of bought into this thing like, well, Hey, this is, this is the hand we're dealt right now. So let's do, let's do with it what we can. Yeah, it's interesting to see which kids are kind of stepping up and which kids are embracing this. And, and and you have a little bit of both. You have some kids that aren't doing as great and and are struggling a little bit. And then you have some kids that you're like, wow, this kid is like taken off. Absolutely. And and I think the the message to the guys that are struggling is, of course, you know, like it's it's hard. Um, I mean, I remember when I graduated college and the first fall I was out of college going out and trying to do a workout by myself you know, not having Tom Donnelly standing there holding a watch, not being in a workout group, you know, you yeah. get to the interval number six and you're like, like, do, do I do this one? Do I need, you know, and, and you re you start to realize like, you know, what a comfort it is to have a group mates where you're like, well, I mean, they're ready. They're going to do it. I can do this, you know, and having a coach there look at you and say, you're okay. You know, you can handle this. Um, there is some Im important and I think, pretty cool growing up that goes on in that, you know, and you start to ask yourself like, well, why do I want to do this? Which sometimes is a question I think you don't ask when you're just in the daily grind of, well, this is just what I'm doing. This is just what I'm doing. You know, those guys kind of have that space to think about those things right now. Um, and I think they're all going to be better off for it. Like, and I keep saying that in my emails and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not like wearing the line out, but I keep saying, you know, like I think all of the best teams, that, that, you know, have really kind of created the right type of culture and, and the kids that have grabbed onto the right type of values will have come through all of this better than they were before. Um, it doesn't mean that we enjoy, you know, missing this the spring season. Um, but like we said, you know, in a lot of those challenges are, are, are big opportunities. Um, you know, and I said to our guys, I was like, you know, the downtown West guys are doing it. Like, I know they are, you know.
I mean, I have no doubt about it uh, because I watch your guys race. And when I see them race, like I know how they train. And if I know how they train, I know the way they think. And if I know the way they think, then, then I mean, we say to our guys all the time, like, you know, like you never take a day off if it's freezing cold, you don't take a day off. If it's snowing, you don't take a day off. If it's Christmas, you don't, you know, like you just don't, you know? And so just because we're not in school, we're not taking any days off. Just because we're not going to race, we're not taking any days off, you know? Like you just, you just do it. Yeah, I think that uh, you touch on something where I think the programs that have that set of values, that set of culture already established are going to come out of this fine, maybe even stronger. And and maybe uh, some of the schools that didn't have those things in place, hopefully will realize, hey, we need to get these things in place. And now you have another big opportunity for these guys to show the work and what they've done and to, to be competitive next week, right? Yeah, yeah, we're going to host a, a virtual uh, mile and 400 kind of making sure like all the guys on my team, you know, get a chance to go out and do something. But it would have been the week of our league championship. And it was going to be the first time ever that we were going to host our league championship. We had redone our track like the um, last year. And it's exactly a month after the invitational that we started hosting last year. So I just thought a good time to sort of, you know, try to celebrate what our guys have been doing, um, you know, by both, you know, staying home, training on their own, you know, doing their part in, in all of this and to celebrate, you know, the hard work that they've done. And then also to sort of celebrate and embrace like our running community. You know, I mean, one of the things that I really do um, love about what we all do is you know, I love going to meets and, and, and seeing you, you know, and seeing, you know, Kevin Kelly and seeing, you know, Jay Jones and seeing, you know, all, all these guys, great coaches that run great teams. I love my, my guys being able to, to be with your kids in, in races and compete, you know, like it's, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing to watch, you know, I mean, sometimes I sit back and, and watch these meets where we are. And I think like, I mean, when done right, we have all created a lot of great opportunities for these guys to, you know, test themselves, learn things about themselves and grow. Um, and I just wanted to create another opportunity for everybody to sort of like virtually get together and celebrate that. And then look forward to being back to it whenever that is, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think that one of the things that that helps do is to create that growth and that that character development. Uh, when, when it comes down to athletics at a high school level, we know that uh, not every kid is going to go on to college and run. Oh, sure, yeah. Not every kid's wow. going to you know be a professional runner. Right, so right. It's about teaching these kids and, yep. and building character, and so that's really Absolutely. I'm glad you touched on that. Yeah. Uh, so I want to then uh, go from kind of what training looks like now to what training might look like in a typical summer, a typical cross country season for LaSalle. Um, I mean, I, I would start off by saying like, I mean, a couple of core principles underlay everything. And I, if done right, if I get it right, I think they tie into like the culture of the team. Like I, I think if you do it really right and it, it can take time and, you know, but um you know, the, the core principles of like a culture of a team, which to me is like, you know, I, I want my team to be inclusive. I want it to be a place where anybody that wants to run, you know, whether they've run before ever, um, you know, or show up and they're a freshman who's run 440 in the mile, you know, no matter who they are, like there's a place for them, you know, they're going to feel valued. Um, they were process oriented, you know, where the, the emphasis of what we're talking about is the way we do things, not what, what happens from that you know, try to always emphasize like, you know, 
okay, state championship is nice, but a state championship happens because of all of the things that went in, you know, and not just in the weeks or months beforehand, but in the years beforehand, you know, oftentimes very long before somebody even realized that they could be a state champion. You know, I mean, I know you've had those moments where you're watching a young kid and you're like, I mean, this kid's something special. This kid could potentially be a state champion. And at that point, that, that kid's literally thinking about like, you know, can I pass my permit test? You know, like, I mean, that's like their biggest life thing. And you're looking at them. I mean, I remember thinking about kids and being like, I think this kid could be like a sub four minute miler. And, you know, I'm like, and they're, they're like, you know, do I need a jacket in practice is like the biggest thing on their mind, you know? Um, but I think if, if, if you, you know, for me, if we're inclusive, you know, if we're process oriented, you know, and we start to teach them hard work, we can then go from there and build training you know, that fits all of that. And so I think kind of the core pieces then of training is, you know, I want to be like long-term development, you know, like we're, we're never thinking ever just about like this one race or this one season, you know, I mean, even in seasons where we've had really good groups and like, you know, a really good relay, for example, like, I, I mean, I try to never think like, okay, you know, like, we've got to hammer this one workout and this week to make sure that this is the best thing they ever do. Like, I mean, maybe once a season we have a workout where I'm like, okay, you're going to really go to the well. Like, that's it. You know, otherwise, I mean, I almost always ask them like, can you do one more? Yeah, I could do one more. Okay, we're good. You know, like, I, I, so, I mean, I think that the core principles of training there is like this long-term development, strength-based, um, repeatable. I, I ask them all the time, I'm like, do you think this is repeatable? Could you do this again in two weeks? You know, and could you do this again next year with another interval a little bit faster? And so long as they can look at me and say, yeah, I can do that again, you know, and yeah, I could do that. I could see myself doing that next year and a little bit faster, you know, but it doesn't mean we don't do race specific stuff. I mean, we, we certainly do, you know, but, but days that we like spike up and are going to, you know, run with our hair on fire is is rare if if ever you know so i want them to learn to to love running and love training uh and love working out you know and not be afraid of it um so i mean for us what that means is i think it has translated over the years as i've kind of like figured it all out i mean being pretty moderate mileage as guys build you know so i say moderate like you know we will have some guys in the su summer you know in one or two of the cycles late in the summer maybe get close to 70 you know, but they're hanging in the, you know, the mid to low 60s for the last couple cycles of the summer. You know, we get into the season as, you know, intensity comes up, you know, the volume comes down for most of our top guys, like top couple workout groups, you know, hanging in the mid 50s. Um, you know, track season might be a little bit lower, hanging in the low to mid 50s. And then outdoor season is just tough. You know, once you pass March, you know, volume comes way down, but that's okay. You know, I mean, it's a time in the year where for our distance runners, like volume's a little lower, you know, we're going to take a break and then cycle back in the summer. I mean, again, I try to be really strength oriented in our workouts. Like, so I mean, if we're at a point in the year where they're not racing. The secondary workout is almost always something strength based, you know, a tempo run, critical velocity, 800s, which is like, you know, I just call 10K pace, you know, um, you know, sometimes a lot of times in the fall, we like to do these like long hill progression runs where we'll do like an eight to nine mile run you know, where they'll start off at like 650 pace, you know, and we'll end it, you know, 540 pace, you know, but we're running over lots of hills because as we know, you know, and, and, and 
you know, at, at Belmont Plateau and Hershey, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's muscularly demanding. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, we do race specific stuff, but, you know, try to do it in a very thoughtful way. You know, anything that's hard, I try to space out. Um, you know, I mean, I've kind of gotten to the point where, I mean, much like you guys, I mean, it, we sort of spread out those races where we try not to race too many weeks in a row. Um, if we're racing, I'm usually not very hard that week, you know, enough recovery time, you know, to come, come back for the next hard workout. Um, I mean, so I, I mean, I guess like to sort of sum it up, what I'd say is I like them to run enough miles and hard enough that wherever they would go for college, if they were going to continue on, they can make the adjustment and survive. Um, not so much that, you know, they get to college and they're like, oh, another 80 mile week, you know, but not so little that they get to college and they're like, oh my gosh, an 80 mile week. Like, how am I going to survive? You know, so if, I mean, I think if done right, you sort of thread the needle that you help them develop, get strong enough that they can conceivably go, you know, to Stanford and run, you know, um, but have developed and done well enough in high school that like, you know, they, they can make that jump and, and we didn't. We didn't leave anything, you know, leave too much, too much meat left on the bone, but like enough for them to continue to grow in the future. I think that, you know, that's something that I noticed a couple of years ago. And I, it's something that I thought was an area of weakness actually for our program was that we weren't preparing kids for that jump to the collegiate level, uh, trying to figure out, okay, well, if this kid's going to be a division one athlete, they can't be running 40 miles a week no. in high school cross country. It's not going to work. I've, I've sat in a lot of coaches meetings at different points and I've heard coaches say like, oh, that program, they run, you know, too many miles, like their kids are burned out when they get to college. And I'll, I'll ask coach be like, so how much, you know, what's in that, what's a typical week? And they'll look at me and they'll be like, oh, 30, 35 miles. And I'm like, well, I mean, your kid's going to go to a division three school and it's going to be a hundred percent increase in mileage freshman year. I, I mean, a couple of your kids may just kind of naturally have been blessed with the ability that they can weather that. But almost all of your kids are going to, you know, wilt under that. They're going to get injured. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to get tired and broken down. Like, I'm not saying that you have to run them 70 miles a week to have them prepared, but like you got to train them like a college coach would think, but designed for the high school athlete, you know, don't train them like a grade school kid that you're trying to extend a little bit, you know? So, I mean, and then every kid's different, you know, so there's, there's nuances too, right? You know, I mean, I've had some guys that, you know, over the years you learn, like they thrive on, on more mileage and, you know, I mean, who am I to say, you know, like hold a kid back from what I think he's really capable of, you know, we'll have the conversation like, okay, look, like, here's what I think is wise. Here's what I think is prudent, you know? And that's the other thing I like. So we should promote that they start taking ownership of, what they're doing right you know what i mean your guys i'm sure keep a log my guys keep a log i'm like go back and read it like start thinking like when i was you know when i felt really good what preceded it in the week two weeks three weeks four weeks etc before it become a student of what you're doing yeah we have a we have a, a saying at downtown west it's we coach you i don't coach you and it's that constant conversation it's that mm -hmm. constant talking back and Absolutely. forth and what's going on and i tell them all the time like ask me a question. I mean, if I, if I can't give you an answer for why I'm doing what I'm doing, like I am going to think about that long and hard. Like, you know, I'm, I mean, I say to my kids at home, you know, as I'm home, like, uh, yeah, you got to do that. Cause I said so like, you know, but I'm not, I'm in mean, a practice. I'm never going to say that, you know, how do you balance, you know, you've got two young kids at home. 
too. Yeah. Six year old and a four year old. Yeah. I, I remember when I was a younger coach without kids, yeah. I could put a lot more time in. I could put a lot Absolutely. more in there. And now with the family at home, what's that balance look like for you? Like, And I think like, I mean, any job that anybody cares dearly about, you know, you have to, you know, figure that out. Um, obviously, when you have kids, it's an adjustment. In some ways, I think the adjustment is, you know, I, I initially struggled with it that, that first year, I remember. And it's funny, like, you know, Coilstone McGee were seniors the year right before my daughter was born. So, you know, like 2013, we win the Penn Relays DMR, you know, September, my daughter was born, you know, and, you know, and, and I couldn't conceive of doing it in a way where I didn't sit around the track and talk to the guys for 30 minutes after a workout and be available, you know, for them to text, you know, while I'm sitting on the sofa at night and, you know, even meet them for a long run. And, you know, I mean, the, the, all those things that I was doing, initially I kind of realized like, wait a second, like, I mean, but they don't really need me that much, you know? I mean, if I do it right, I mean, over time, they should need me less and less. So it doesn't mean that they don't know that I'm not thinking about them regularly. I mean, I have to budget my time really well, you know? I mean, so now I got to get up at, I get up at 4.45 or 5 o'clock and I'll sit down with a legal pad and I'll make sure I know exactly what I'm going to say at practice. And, you know, and I, I can't like kind of waste any time because I don't have the 30 minutes to sit on the track after practice when, when the workout's done and they finish cooling down, like I got to go because I got to pick up the kids at daycare, get home, you know, start cooking dinner, doing those things, you know, and, and the time where I'm focused on my family is good. Like, I mean, I, I can't think about training for eight hours a day. Like that wouldn't be healthy for me either. Um, in the same way I tell them, like, they shouldn't be thinking about racing for eight hours a day. You know, that's not healthy for them either. Yeah, and then there's the, just the work-life balance of, you know, working with your spouse and, you know, trying to figure those things out ahead of time. And Is your wife a runner also? She ran at Haverford. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we met. So Is she still competitive? No, but I mean, you know, she, she runs, you know, yeah. most days of the week. Um, I mean, that's why she usually goes out and runs on the weekend. I usually stay in the house with the kids. Try to find a balance there. That's a good balance. That's always a night, nice, uh, a good conversation. Uh, who's going to run? Now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the next thing I want to do is I want to share. Uh, just I want I'm going to put a few pictures up. Cool. Kind of talk in whatever direction the picture kind of takes you. Um, yeah, that was a good day. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Andrew led off for us when our four by eight when he was a freshman. We made Championship of America. It was 2010. It was the last year that Bolt ran. And I remember Saturday of that pen relays when we got into the paddock, Bolt was on the track and I looked up in the upper bowl. It was so loud. The upper bowl was like swaying slightly. And I remember thinking, I'm like, we're leading off a freshman in the championship of America on Saturday of pen relays. Like we're nuts. This is like, why am I doing this? But it, I mean, I just said, watch them work out and watch them race. And I'm like, I trust the kid, you know, like, I mean, he's, he's got this and he nailed it. Um, and then the next year when they were sophomores, Coyle, I mean, I don't think he'd ever broken two. And our leadoff leg handed off the stick to him in like 13th on Friday morning, you know, those 9 a.m. freezing cold four by eights. And he got the stick in 13th, having never broken two, and ran 154 and moved us from 13th to like second or third. Um, and at that point, I was like, okay, we're about halfway through these guys' high school career. Like, we got something special going. These guys are unbelievable. Um, you know, and then Jack, our 800 leg, you know, we had, we finished third in the distance medley at Penn when they were all juniors. Um, and Jack ran like 202. He ran really good for 600. And in the last 200, I mean, just kind of the, 
you know, the normal pen relay, first pen relays thing for a lot of guys where, you know, they're running really well. And, you know, then all of a sudden they start to think about wanting to just be at the finish line and hand off. And then, you know, it gets really, really hard. Um, and I just felt like, you know, it was four years worth of work. Um, I mean, Tom early in his career, you know, would make all these like antsy, excited moves and not wait. And I just remember watching that race and he cozied up to the leaders at about 600 in. Um, and the whole third lap, I could see him just like waiting, waiting, waiting. And I knew he was just waiting for somebody else to make a move. And the whole time I'm watching him, I'm like, this is, I can't believe he's waiting. This is beautiful. You know, like he, he often would be antsy and, and, and want to jump and go. Um, and he, he timed it perfectly, you know. And, and I remember when they crossed the finish line, I, I just had all these visions of like, snowy January days of them, you know, running these great workouts on our track when it was nobody but us. I was like, you know, this is a beautiful day and they, you know, and they won it today, but they really wanted, you know, all those, you know, January and February days when it was really cold and we were the only ones at the track and, you know, they were training their tails off and, you know, and those, you know, those indoor races, you know, at Lehigh where they learned how to sit and be patient and hang on and that was, I mean, I'll never forget that moment. That was un- unbelievable. Yeah, that's a special memory to to have that, uh, uh, you know, pen relays on, on Saturday. That that That's pretty cool. Uh, the next picture, so we're looking at the 2017 cross-country state championship picture. And uh, this was a this was a, a pretty cool race. Uh, yeah, on the tiebreaker. Whew. So maybe talk, talk to us about that. Well, I mean, it, it's funny, too, because, um, you know, Cardinal O'Hara had – tied twice and lost on the tiebreaker twice so believe it or not during the week of the race i mean having watched the way council rock north was running in the couple weeks before that like the way they ran at their league meeting and the way they ran at districts it's like guys this is going to be really close like they are going to have a bunch of medalists um and i said to them like every single guy that is lining up for us will really matter like we we can't have a, a seventh guy that falls off and mails it in like you know everybody matters today um you know and if you looked at that race like Toomey had been you know our number two guy i mean i th- I thought he might be in the medals that day and about halfway through the race is like he is in a bad way like he is hurting and to everybody's credit like the other guys rallied and stepped up and ran great and he just never packed it in he just kept fighting and fighting and fighting um and he beat their fifth guy which made all the difference in the world, you know, because I mean, that pushes him back a spot and, you know, gives us the tiebreaker. Um, so while I would have liked to have had, uh, you know, a win there that we didn't have to sweat out during the video review period. Um, it was to me like a, a pretty fitting way for this group of guys to win it where all seven guys like literally mattered. I mean, it wasn't just like, Oh, you know, all seven guys. I mean, they, they, they all mattered. I mean, mathematically they all mattered. Um, you know, and to win it that way on, on kind of that, that depth, it was something that we were really proud of. Textbook race to like show kids in the future, like, look, this is why this matters. Exactly. You know, like so many coaches say it and kids are like, yeah, yeah, no, no, whatever. And so now every time I say it, I'm like, no, I mean, this is how we won the state title. I mean, we, we literally won on the tiebreaker and it was a great mix of guys. You know I mean? We had, you know, in, in Evan and Sean Egan, just these great senior leaders, um, I mean, Sean Egan, I mean, over the course of his four years, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I mean, he must have improved in the 5K by like well over five minutes, um, you know. So, I mean, between Evan and, and, and Sean Egan 
and then a couple juniors who had really progressed and were just cracking the varsity, and then a sophomore class that was, you know, kind of these young upstarts. It was just a really neat mix of kids that year. Um, you know, it was that was a fun day. Absolutely. Uh, you know, this brings us to how do I want to word this? Like the the changing of guard in the Catholic League. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and kind of what's what's happened with, with the state of the Catholic League right now, and and, yeah. and, and how. You know, it went from being, well, I'll let you explain. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the Catholic League, what it's like, and, and maybe some of the history since you've been a coach. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, when we joined the PIAA in the fall of 2008, I think for those first several years, there wasn't a year where we didn't have two teams finish in the top 10 in the, in the state. Um, and a couple of those years when, you know, O'Hara and, and we were in the top 10, St. Joe's Prep didn't make it, and I felt like St. Joe's Prep might have been able to be in the mix. Like, there was the one year where St. Joe's Prep at the indoor state meet finished, I don't know, either second or third in the DMR at the state championship, but they didn't even make the state championship in cross country. Um, you know, so there was, yeah, there was a lot of depth. I mean, O'Hara was, you know, I mean, in between, you know, Kevin James and Dan Savage and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, they were loaded. I mean, I I start listing names. I, 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 you know, wouldn't stop listing names, and they were tough. Like they just every time, like every kid showed up and raced tough. And then we'd go to Catholic League championships, and not only were their good kids race tough, but then somebody that I didn't even really anticipate would run this huge race. Um, yeah, it was it was hard. I mean, I started coaching at LaSalle in the fall of 2003, and for five straight years we won the Catholic League cross country title. You know, often good meets close and then you know in the fall of uh, of 2010 was when they arrived and I mean for five straight years they were lights out and I just kept saying to my assistant coaches through that whole five-year stretch like you know we're being tested this is you know really hard for for our guys right now um you know to be in a league where we're running up against you know I mean at one point they were fifth at NXN you know they ran 10 flat in, in the indoor DMR the one year um, I mean, they just did unbelievable stuff. Um, but it was like, I mean, but instead of, you know, moping about it and feeling bad for ourselves that we can't win a league title, it was like, instead we should say like, this is awesome. You know, we get to constantly try to see like, how close can we be to this, this team? Um, and in, I think it was 2015, we had lost the PCL championship by a couple points, but then we beat them at the district meet. Um, and that was enormous. I mean, and our guys, you know, grew kind of overnight from that. Um, and obviously, you know, things have changed a little bit. You know, I mean, they had a coaching change, um, you know, and, and, and the league has changed a little bit. But, um, you know, I mean, we can only control the things that we can control. Um, there are really good individuals, you know, throughout the league. Um, and so, you know, I mean, there's, there's opportunities for us to, you know, test ourselves still against, you know, a bunch of good individuals out there and, you know, just try to always, you know, treat the rest of, you know, the league and anybody we're racing against, like with, you know, with the, the respect that they deserve um, and go out and try to do the best we can. Would you kind of look at that 2015 year as a turning point for the program? Like what, when do you look back and say, Hey, like this is where the program really turned or, uh, you know, for us, it was like 2013, 14, where we kind of saw a shift in our culture or a shift in our, you know, just makeup. 
When would you say that happened for LaSalle? When I was in high school, we won a Catholic League title my junior year in the fall of 1997. Um, and then we didn't, didn't win another one until the fall of 2003, which was my first year as assistant coach. And then we won in the fall of 03, 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, and 09. Um, and lost in, in 2010, which, funny enough, was the year that Pat Devine retired. Or he had, he, that we, he had just retired the previous spring. So the first fall that I was head coach, like, with him not there. Like, I'd been head coach for several years before that. But the first year that he was literally not there, we lost. And, I mean, in terms of, like, biggest mistakes that I've ever made as a, as a coach and the biggest things that I've ever learned is – um, and I've realized that if I'm saying this, like that, whatever it was for me, I'm sure it was like on order of 10 for our kids was, I mean, I, I do think that at some point in that stretch, I probably developed this, like, I mean, I, I think not consciously, but this belief that like, well, okay, if we train the way we're training, like we'll go out and we'll take care of business and we'll be fine. And I just remember the, literally the first race at the first meet in September, we had them in a league meet. And our guys had looked pretty good in the summer and, and we showed up and we went out and like they destroyed us. I, 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 I remember I drove home from school that night and I sat in front of my house and I was just, just sitting there, you know, like I think at some point, like my wife texted me and she's like, are you coming in the house today? And I was just sitting there and I was like, I, I don't know how long I was sitting here. Like I was in shell shock. I mean, like we just did everything over the summer the way we've done before. Like what's different? What did I, and I, I, I think I, it was like, it was a couple year process for me where, you know, I knew how to train guys, and but, you know, I think we had kind of gotten a little bit on autopilot and I had taken some things for granted. And I think then they started to take things for granted. And, and so since then, I, I mean, I've probably become like a much more paranoid, you know, coach. But like, I mean, I, I really believe this all the time. Like, I mean, you only have four years worth of guys in your program, right? You know, and you know, once a senior class graduates, you know, you only have three years worth of memory moving up. And, and once you have sustained success, you all of a sudden have this like limited shelf life of memory in your team where like they might not really remember like really hard times. And young kids just look up to the old seniors and they're like, oh, well, that kid trained this way. So therefore, when they get out on the course, good things happen. And they're like, well, no, like, you know, like, sure, you can run 60 miles a week and you can do this workout. But like, it ain't automatic, you know, like they don't just like put results up because you ran 60 miles and did this workout. It's a crucible out there. You know, like this thing is insanely hard. Like you need to be, you know, seasoned and calloused and prepared for all of the tests that comes your way in this, you know? So, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm scaring the young guys in like, okay, you're training this way and we're learning to race, but you're eventually going to get put in this thing that is going to be, you know, one of the hardest things you've ever done in your life. You're prepared for it. You're okay. But like, it's not automatic. So for us, somewhere in that, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, like, I think me as a coach, us as a program, we're like working on, on just trying to figure that out and, and doing it against a team that was, you know, I mean, a lot of years, I mean, it's like, even on our best day, I mean, I, they would have to have a terribly off day. And I think we still might lose, you know, which in some ways, like actually for a couple of years there, like sort of allowed us the space to learn that. Because they're like, I mean, I think we're probably not going to win. Like we, we can't beat them. I mean, they're, they're, they're unbelievable. But yeah, somewhere about in that window of like 
2014-2015, I, I think we had kind of like some guys had graduated who had been there for the window of success and went through the, the tough time. And, and then we got like just some really good personalities in there, you know, an Eddie Goebel type kid who was just like, I'm just going to run hard, you know, like that's, we can't control. And I think once we had a bunch of guys that accepted like, look, we cannot control what Cardinal Harry does. You know, we're just going to go out and, and, and do what we can do. And I think that has kind of carried over, you know, and I mean, we said it in the hotel room this year before we left for the course. I was like, look, we can't control what Downingtown West is going to do. Like we can only control our race. So we just have to run our race as best we can and hope that on that day, our best is better than their best. That's it. Like that's the name of the game. And I think it took, a, you know, it just, it took me as a coach and therefore those guys you know, time to really learn that. And it's one thing to say it, and then it's it's another thing to, like, believe it with every fiber of your body. And I think sometimes the only way you actually learn that and believe that is through that really hard test. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I always say, it, like, for a new coach or, or somebody asked me for advice, it takes three to four years to develop your culture. And it's funny, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the parallel situations we have with like you with Pat Devine, uh, me with Kevin Kelly. You know, yeah. I was under Kevin's wing for a long time, learning from him as his assistant uh, and, and whatnot. And you just get to a point where when, when that person walks away, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, it's, it's a little intimidating. Um, no, no, no doubt about it. There's no hiding at that point, you know. I want to transition that conversation into culture because you talked a little bit about some tenets of culture early in, in, in the podcast. And then uh, you just kind of talked a little bit there about some, some of the things I always think of culture as a set of values yeah. uh, that, that, that your team shares. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have defined values at LaSalle that you're like, look, this is who we are. This is what we do. Or is it just a general sense? But could you maybe tell us a little bit about how you view culture at LaSalle? Yeah. I mean, you know, we have program goals that, you know, I give them at the start of the season, they're posted in the locker room, you know, but I think with most high school kids, you know, you can give them that and post that and, you know, have them read that. But um, I mean, it's only going to be as real as what they live day in and day out. And and, and culture, I often feel like, um, I mean, I am kind of like trying to steer a, a really big ship that, you know, turns slowly and feels like it moves slowly. But once it's moving, like has this immense momentum. I mean, I think there are some things that I can do to help steer that, like, you know, one, be inclusive and, and show them that I am going to value every kid who's willing to come out and, and do what I ask, you know, and so I'm going to coach the kid who hasn't broken 30 minutes yet in the 5k Two, I'm going to show them that I'm going to hold all of them accountable to the same standards that they're there every day. You know, when we're doing drills, they're not cutting corners and I don't care if they're already all state, you know, doesn't mean that you, you know, don't do your a skips the right way, you know, and if you're a 30 minute guy and you say to me, but I'm just a 30 minute guy, then we have a problem, you know, because you're a 30 minute guy that needs to be trying to be a 29 minute guy. And needs to be trying to be a 28 minute guy. And I'm going to be really invested in trying to help you do that. And I'm going to celebrate you when you do that. Because you need to take yourself seriously enough to want to do that. You know, I mean, sometimes I talk to these guys about like the pay it forward effect that, that a team like ours has. And, and I'm sure you're very much the same way. Like, I, I will say to our guy who's like 40th on our depth list, I'm like, try to be the best 40th guy in the state. Like, that's a legitimate goal. And that would be something that you could be really proud of if you could look down the list and be like, I'm the best 40th guy in the state. That means that I'm on a great team 
and I'm doing things the right way. And I'm helping the guy who's 39th, who's helping the guy who's 38th, helping the guy who's 37th, right? You know, so I mean, I'm going to be inclusive. I'm going to hold them all to the same, you know, set of standards. I'm going to think about their training and their race plans and help evaluate the races afterwards as hard as I can, you know, and I'm going to expect them to, to do the same. We'll celebrate the success of, of everybody on the team. And that's one thing I, I say, like, they got to learn to celebrate the success of others. And it's one thing I've been really proud of over the years. Like, I mean, we sometimes get lucky where we end up with like a clear number one or number two guy, but we've gone to the state meet so many years where I'm like, I mean, you could take our top five and I'm going to throw the names out on the floor and that's the order today. I don't know. I mean, and and I want them to not care. They take the front of them as they can, as best they can. And when their teammate goes by them, they're going to be like, keep doing it. I'm going. Let's, you know. So I, I think as long as I talk in those terms and I stay true to that, you know, and it's funny, I've got a couple of, you know, great system coaches who will periodically remind me after like a, a hard day, you know, and, and we've gone up, you know, I mean, you and I have done this. We've gone up to Manhattan and run in that Eastern States race. And there's a lot of years where we finish racing and I'm walking back over to the team, you know, with my assistants, Tom Devlin, Doug Demeter, Steve Horvath, and, and, and I'll look at them and be like, why did we come up here? Like, that was brutal. And he'll, and he'll look at me and be like, well, wait a second. Like, what do you say all the time? Like, it's not the outcome, right? Like, good, right? Fair point. Like, I have to stay true to that, even in those moments where I'm like, oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't run great, but we are training great, and we're we approach this race the right way. We didn't get it right this time, but that's okay. You know, like we're process oriented. So, I think if if as a coach you have things that you, you know, and, and they have to become so part of you that. You're saying them and you're living them all the time. Then you can't help but communicate them constantly, you know, and your kids can't help but learn them. Um, and once a, like a critical mass of your guys learn it, then all of a sudden it becomes like this sort of self perpetuating thing. It's funny, you would ask me in the last question about like that tipping point. I remember after Patrick Vine had retired in that 2010 through 2012 or 13 window. We had a point where like we had had these huge teams that were like 60, 70 guys cross country. And we had a period where like we started going down. We were like 50 and 40. And I remember saying to a couple of my assistants, so like, what is going on? What am I doing wrong? And I, I freaked out for a little bit. And after thinking about it for a while, I was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever read Good to Great. It's one of my kind of favorite books. You know, it's like, get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus. It, it really was, I think, just a group of kids realizing like, oh, like, this is not a club. Like, okay, uh, this is not, like, I can't just like do this and, and not do my long run, or I can't do this and like, not really train over the summer, or, you know, I can't do this and like, go to race and just kind of run through everybody, not just the coaches, everybody expects me to run over the summer. Everybody expects me to do my long run. And everybody expects me to run hard when I race. And like, if I go out and run a 5k and guys on the team think that I'm not running hard, when I get on the bus, I hear about it. I think we kind of like in that tough stretch for us, some of those guys, you know, and it was great. A lot of kids would come to me and say like, Hey, I realized like, I don't think this is for me. I'm going to go try, you know, photography, or I'm going to go try ultimate Frisbee or whatever. I was like, great, good. Go, go find something else you do feel passionate about. You want to do this level for that. And once we kind of sort of got a critical mass that bought into that. Then the numbers started coming back up because we started like sort of identifying it, celebrating it. And in a lot of ways, like that wasn't me. A lot of ways that was, you know, 
Evan Addison, that was Sean Egan, that was, you know, Ethan Mayer, that was Vince Toomey, that was, you know, like, that was those guys doing it. I think it's a great point of, you've got to have passion for what you're doing. Yeah. And you've got to have kids that understand that they, it's okay if they're not passionate about running. Right. It, it really is okay. Like, that's, you know, there's no shame in coming to me and saying, like, whoa, like, I didn't know I was signing up for this. You know, and I always say to those guys, like, cool. Like, I'm really glad that you, number one, were reflective enough to realize that. You know, number two, can, like, kind of try to think about where you want to put your efforts. But then I think the really cool thing, like, the inclusive piece for me is, like, but then what it allows is it allows, like, the 23-minute kid that is trying to break 20 minutes to be, like, in it and to be one of the guys. And, like, when that person breaks 20 minutes, like, they get celebrated the same as somebody breaking 16. Like, it's the same thing. That's when you know you've got a good culture. Yeah. I mean, I remember there was a there was a time trial at the very end of the school year in one of those like lean years for us. Like and lean like from the objective outside standpoint, like, okay, we didn't win any Catholic League titles, you know, we're not on the state podium, et cetera. Where at the end of the year, remember we had this mile time trial and a kid broke five minutes for the first time. You would have thought it was Bannister. Like, I mean, he was <laughs> on people's shoulders, they were carrying him around the track. And I remember looking, going like, it's so cool. Cause it's one of the one of our guys that like he trained super hard. I mean, he was a seven-minute miler when he got here. He just broke five. Everybody was doing that. That's cool. That's a great story. Really captures kind of the, the essence of what you want to aim for when you are trying to create something. Yeah. And at the high school level, that's what we all have to be trying to create, you know? All right. So the the last thing uh, we, we typically do here is kind of like a, a rapid fire. So... Uh Start out with your three favorite running-related memories. Uh, it could be coaching, could be personal running, uh, et cetera. We, we know, you, you know you were a pretty uh, stud athlete back in the day, too. So One, um, I mean, the, the first one that comes to my mind was, yeah, I mean, our, our first cross-country state meet, we finished second. I think we came in ranked, I mean, at best-case scenario, fifth, maybe sixth. Um, it was a really special group, um, you know, some, some great – you know, kind of senior leaders, Pat Donnelly, you know, Sean McCullough, some great juniors, Tom O'Kane, Nick Malloy, Sean Quinn. I mean, that was a really cool day. It was our first state meet ever. And those guys just kind of helped set the set the standard. Like that was a really, it was just a day. I mean, you don't have many of those days where like you just totally hit it out of the park and you feel like, wow, like that validated so much of what they had done. Um, and that group then that, that spring went on and finished. Well, they ran 749 in the four by eight at the outdoor state meet for 10th. Um, <laughs> so that, that, I mean, that year sticks out of my mind. Another one is, is kind of a, like a, a weird take on it. The night that I was at Tom Coyle's graduation party, I got a call from Dan Lowry and Dan Lowry had broken four minutes in the mile that night. And I just think like a neat little symbolism is like, you know, like Dan Lowry breaks four minutes in the mile, first LaSalle alum ever to do it. And he does it on the day that I'm at Tom Coyle's graduation party. And fast forward three years and, and Tom Coyle does it himself. So, I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of is, is those two guys breaking four minutes. You know, I think the record for a high school in the U.S. Um, between Stillwater and Minnesota and uh, Jesuit in, in L.A. is four. Two of them are pretty cool. I'd be hard, hard pressed not to add in the 2013 DMR at Penn. I mean, that one was, that was amazing. Um, yeah, it was kind of for, you know, U.S. number one at that point. That was awesome. That's a, a great accomplishment. This one's a little bit harder, maybe, or maybe easier. I don't know. Uh, the two biggest regrets that you have. I mean, that's, there's, there's, there's a lot. Um, I mean, <laughs> my own, it hard. and it's funny, you know, it's funny is like, 
I feel like I can answer that and say, like, I mean, my own personal career felt like my entire college career, my cross-country stuff was always a letdown, always a disappointment. And in part, I, I think it was because, like, I just struggled managing my own pre-race nerves and anxiety or in-race nerves and anxiety. It's part of the reason why I love doing what I do now and trying to help guys not do the things that I did. You know, like I, I think I sort of, you know, it's funny. I think sometimes like the best runners ever may not make the best coaches because like sometimes for those guys, like they have to go through the struggles that the normal runner goes through, you know? So, you know, on a personal level, I mean, I, I had plenty of my own struggles with, with some of those nerves and anxiety. Uh, I mean, I would like chalk most of my cross country stuff up and, and put it on the list. And then like as a coach, I mean, there's just been a bunch of times where I've had really good athletes who are in great shape and have gotten injured untimely. I mean, Evan Addison ended up with a stress reaction at the outdoor state meet his senior year, and I felt like he was ready to run really fast. Um, you know, those are things that I, um, you know, have a hard time not like moving on from, but they just, I mean, I, I know how much it disappointed him and it, you know, to see guys that work that hard and, and get to that level and, you know, end up getting injured and, you know, you ask yourself a million questions about, you know, how it happened, why it happened, you know, and there's been a few others like that, so. Yeah, the injuries are always, I think, the biggest uh, one that hurts the most when you know yeah. when you know you might have been at the root of that. Yeah. Uh, the last question is one piece of advice you would have for a either young coach or a young athlete um, getting started in the sport. I mean, one is I mean they should ask a million questions. You know, reach out to everybody they can, talk to as many people as they can. You know, try to learn as much as they they possibly can, and they just have to love it. You know, I mean, if you're a young coach. I mean, I, I think so many times, like caring about your athletes, being passionate about what you do can cover over some of those coaching mistakes that we're all inevitably going to make. You know, I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm going to write the perfect workout every single time for every single kid, you know, but if they believe in me and they believe in us, they believe in like our training, then it is the perfect workout. How, I mean, it takes a long time to develop that. Um, but I mean, I think passion and love for it goes a long, long way, you know, and in terms of trying to write the work, write workouts, you know, just talk to people, ask questions. What do they do? What's their week look like? What are, you know, the most important workouts they do? You know, what are core values that they, you're asking lots of those questions and, you know, pouring your heart and soul into it and caring immensely, you know, you're off to a great start. Absolutely. Hey, Greg, I want to thank you a lot for coming on. This was a great podcast. Uh, a lot of fun listening to your answers and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully getting back out and getting a summer training in and yeah, maybe I, that I, Briarwood cross country camp too, right? Yeah, hopefully. That'd be great. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for having me. This was awesome, man. Really appreciate it.